House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. Uh, today we are talking with a an author, so Mac Little. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, I, you know, I'm always confused nowadays. I think I'm just getting old, but there's so many genres of writing and, and, and things. How, how would you classify your writing? Well, I, I really don't fit into any one genre. Uh, I try, I try to uh, take an overall picture of, of uh, whatever book I'm writing. Uh, I like, I write horror and I write um, romance and I write history and I tend to combine them all in my stories. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant, you know, because I wasn't sure if if I should call you a historical fiction or like a romance or a horror author. Because <laughs> it's sort of a little <laughs> yeah. bit, it's, it's yeah, sort of the, all of it. Yeah, the common thread I've, I've found in all of my novels is the history. I love uh, finding interesting tidbits in history that's been left out. And even in my horror novels, I spent a great deal like in ancient times and studying, you know, what life was like back then and, you know, what the culture was. So actually that led me into writing my historical uh, romance was I was writing a horror series and I kept going back to the history and I realized I want to do a whole book where I just really immerse myself in a historical period. Oh, that's interesting. So, so it's really important that you get a lot of historical facts, correct? Mm -hmm. Yet, yet you still have a fictional story going over it. Right. Right. Uh, Fortunately, I have a background in like librarianship, so I'm I'm a great researcher. <laughs> I can really dig deep. So, what I what when approaching a story, I usually start with the character um, and their background, and then I and then when I find the historical period I want to place them in, I uh, study the events that are going on in that part of the world and I try to see how I try to figure out how my character would react to that situation so it all starts with character and then uh, once I have a time period I just um, try to have my character interact with whatever's going on there so you've got a time period and you've got the events going on and then you put your character in there do you set set them on a quest or do you have a, a a question that they're sort of trying to figure out, like something about their time period? Hmm. No, it's 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 not really a quest. It's it's them just trying to live their lives and um when they come into contact with each other, how they react. It it Basically, when I start a story, I don't really have a plan for what they're going to do. They tell me what they, they're going to do. I, I have a general plan where I want to, let's see, the last novel I wrote, Daughter of Hades. I knew I wanted to write a, a romance novel with pirates that showcase the maroons, the escaped slaves in the islands. And so... I created, I wanted a main character that was brave and, and forthright. And so, let's see, so I looked at the history of Jamaica and the history of the Maroons. And I was like, oh, my God, I could see my characters moving through uh, these events. And that's how I do it. I, I, I look at the history and then I see how my how my characters are going to interact with with the events that are going on. Wow. So that leads me to um, so your characters kind of direct 
where they're going to go or how they're going to react, I guess, and, and kind of where the story goes. Um, Absolutely. So how, what what is your relationship with these characters? And And I'm not saying that flippantly. It's just that we get so many writers that will – give a description of their characters and they, they, they'll say, Oh, it's like my family. It's like my kids. It's like, I hear all of these things. And, Mm -hmm. and also, you know, not only who they are, what they are to you, but how do you experience them? Is it a visual thing? Is it an audio thing? Do you hear voices? Like where, where does this all work for you? Yeah. And it's all of those things. My characters are part of me. Uh, I guess the closest analogy would be a child because they have my DNA, even in all of my characters, they have a part of my DNA, a, a part of my personality, a, a, a part of something. And um, so they're, they're intimate creations, just like a child might be. And when I interact with them, they talk to me. It's like uh, I go I go on walks frequently or whenever. Actually, when I'm not writing, you know, they're still they're talking to me. They're um, they're having their conversations, and I'm thinking about the story and I go, oh no, you know, I you forgot to you forgot to say you know this, and you forgot this reaction, and that they're always they're a part of me is best I could say. <laughs> well, are they, are they like, nor- <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I heard all, uh, but it, so are they just like regular kids where they will do what they want? They won't listen to you. Yes. I have an <laughs> idea of where I want the story to go, but once I get, once I start writing the scene, they, they just take off and do whatever. And then I'm having to catch up with, you know, figure out, you know, how do I make the story work, even though this is what they decided to do. <laughs> yes, they, they are like working with uh, naughty kids. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, teenagers. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I also I would imagine the setting is important to you as well. So like where you're located. Now, mm-hmm. I, I would also think that you might write the setting or the, the location as a character, too. Yeah, that, I suppose it it is very important uh, to get the details right of of the setting, and a lot of times it when uh, the characters are interacting, when there's a lot of action going on around them, then yes, the setting does become uh, uh, a a bit of the character, but a lot of times it's just painting a picture. Uh, trying to write what I see in my mind or what I imagine and trying to make that picture as accurate as, as I can. And a lot of times that, that means picking out specific details. And, and a lot of times with the settings, all you need to do is pick out like two or three or four, you know, specifics especially when uh, writing a historical novel uh, you pick out a few specific details and then uh, you you color in around those that it's it's so it's so weird talking about the creative process but yeah it but basically my settings are are pictures I'm I'm painting pictures (laughs) yeah well you know you're not waking up in the morning and finding you know, mud on your shoes and blood on your hands, are you? <laughs> Voices aren't telling you to do this weird no, stuff. And, you know. I know it sounds psychotic. <laughs> I know it. I know how it sounds, but no. It, no. And actually writing keeps me sane, I think, because the voices just, you know, get so loud and, and insistent. I have to write and get them out of my head. Yeah. I think there's medicine for that, too. <laughs> but I, you know, hey, just what I'm just trying to help. Um, well, you know, I, I, I have to imagine that a lot of you goes into the characters. You were talking about how they are kind of intimate creations. So there's got to be a certain ap- amount in each character that is sort of you, yeah, you know. And absolutely. so, but when so when that is, um, 
do you ever sort of worry about, let's say, you know, being vulnerable a little bit, letting your own emotions or feelings towards certain things be exposed to everyone in the world? Yes. Yes, I do feel very vulnerable at times, uh, especially with the romance uh, side of things. And I'm, I'm very, I don't like being emotional as a person. I don't like, uh, like, I just don't like being emotional. It embarrasses me. And, and so when I write my characters being emotional or expressing emotion, I'm having to capture that so that the reader can understand and um, uh, empathize with the character. So when I write that emotional stuff, it's embarrassing to me. And I present my, when I present my work, all of my work, I present to a critique group, you know, and get feedback on. And when I have to read the emotional parts of my story, it is it's so cringy yeah. and embarrassing to me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is. It's a hard thing to deal with. That's why mm-hmm. I always ask people because I want to. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a very hard part, especially in today's world. Today's more than anything because you're so much more out in the public and with social media and, and all of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And people can, uh, they have more access to you now yes. than they would have even 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of puts you in that spot where you're, people could throw, throw tomatoes at you. Basically. Exactly. And, and, and I try to keep myself out of that, out of the, the social media as much as I can. I I just I distance my personal life from it and just you know go with the memes and stuff I think is funny yeah. or weird yeah. or strange I I don't put because I don't like putting myself out like out there like that and I guess in my books that's my I guess that's my venue for that and. I get past the embarrassment and the cringing after I've presented it to my critique group. <laughs> yeah. so it's out there now. And, and so once it goes out to the masses, I'm okay with it. Yeah. They, they're the characters are themselves now. They're like, you know, yeah. Let them deal with it. Do you ever use people, you know, as characters in books? No, not really. They're, they're, I would like to, I, you, you hear about authors putting people in their stories so they could kill them off or torture them (laughs) as I can't do that. Well, you do that (laughs) with a critique group, you know, when someone said something bad about (laughs) No, no, I can't do that. Here's the thing about writing my characters is that. First of all, they're a part of me. When I write a character, I have to research them and get to know them. And therefore, I start to feel compassion for them. And I, if I put someone I didn't like in there, it would be like therapeutic anyway. It would help me to understand this person and to love them and not want to kill them. So I can't... So when people say stuff like putting character, creating characters so they can kill them at, you know, as a proxy for someone else. That, that doesn't work for me because, yeah. because if I start writing about a character or a person or a place, I start to feel familiar with them and compassion. And I, I learn to love them. You know, even my bad guys, I love them. I, I recently had a bad guy that I had to kill off and it, it killed me. I did not want to do it. <laughs> and I presented to my critique group and said, help me, guys. Help me save him. <laughs> They're like, no, he needed to die. <laughs> well, you know, bring him back in the future. <laughs> yeah, that's what they said. That was a consolation. Yeah, it was just a dream. <laughs> it wasn't real, you know. Um, Don't you hate that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, but with your characters being in such uh, control, 
in a way. And the, like, for instance, your, your daughter, your daughter of Hades, um, that's book one. So there's a planned series here. Um, mm-hmm. So are you a person that doesn't outline then because of the characters or do you sort of outline? No, I don't outline at all. Uh, it's pointless. The best I can do is to do a character. I do detailed character sheets. So, you know, I can have an intimate knowledge of my characters and, and um, then I, I write scene by scene and I kind of, map out where I want the scene to go, but nine times out of 10, that scene goes somewhere else completely. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so no, I'm completely seat of my pants and a lot of my research beyond, um, beyond finding a place and time, a, a setting for my characters. Uh, I do that by the seat of my pants too, as I'm writing. So, so my process, if you want, if you care, is I write longhand, and those are broad notes, uh, broad brushstrokes, and then uh, I type it up. And then as I type it, then I get into the details and research and try to make it um, as accurate as I can, and then revise, revise, revise. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, so Daughter of Hades, you don't know how many books you're going to do and where it's really going to end. I I have an idea. Okay. So when I started Daughter of Hades, I wanted to start with the invasion of Jamaica by the British. And I wanted to follow two main stories, uh, two main characters, Ami and Pax, their love story. That w- that was my idea in the beginning, but their story is so is so long, and I only have a finite amount of space. I can write my books, right? Yeah. So I had to I had to turn to other characters and focus on their romance. And put Pat and me in the background and have their their love story arc over the whole thing. I, I'm really I'm planning only three, but as I write, I find interesting characters that take me off in a tangent and makes my book way too long. So I have to cut that. And then so this happened in the last book. Um, um one of my characters, Badu. He came from Africa. He is uh, he has a privileged position on a plantation, and I got really deep into his backstory. And my publisher says, "No, no, we're going off on a tangent." So I had to write a novella (laughs) about him and his life in pre-colonial Africa and his escape from the plantation that he's on in Barbados. So I. I want to, I started out with just one story and it just kept multiplying like troubles. Hmm. <laughs> it's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, and so when you're putting this together, so you got the location, you kind of got what the time period, what's going on, the events, you put your characters in there. Um, now, is there a subtext or a plot that you want people to take away from, from the book? besides the entertainment or the romance and all that stuff going on on the surface, is there something mm-hmm. underneath it that you want people to take away from the book? And that, that might even, whether it's planned or maybe it just happened organically, is there something you're trying to tell us? Well, uh, I know a lot of people roll my roll their eyes when I say that blacks and people of color have been left out of a lot of the history that we've been learning and with my that's my that's one of my main goals is to reveal where people of color did actually exist and they were painted out of the picture so i guess i guess basically that's my motive i suppose it, my underlying motive is to show the diversity of the period 
and show the diversity in history and how people interacted, how they got along a lot of the times and how they didn't. And um, I try I try to write it with truth and not sugarcoat anything, which is weird when I'm writing a romance novel. I hate <laughs> I hate that flowery romantic crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, so I, you know, I like yeah. to keep it real, but emotional. Do Do you think that um, the public and and even um, a lot of how it's been written, like the history, um, gets uh, the place of of blacks wrong? Then, do you think they're just misrepresented in a lot of history? Yes, yes. Uh, my my biggest thing is, especially when when you when you talk about slavery and you have books set uh, during a period where slavery was at its height, you talk about blacks as if there were nothing but slaves. There. They're they're objectified and it they're you know the slave you have the slave they're objectified and they're not seen as people. So what I want to do is show that these people they're enslaved mathematicians, they're enslaved kings, they're enslaved mothers and fathers, I try to bring humanity to them and and show that they did not begin as a slave and they didn't end as a slave. There's this humanity that's been written out of these people's experience. And even though I want to write a romance novel, I want to honor my ancestors by telling the truth about, you know, what they endured even though it's not the focus, but I, I want these people to be seen as humans, individuals with regency in their life. Yeah, like they're full three-dimensional characters. They have feelings, exactly. they have likes exactly. and dislikes, and they have things and their own relationships. And yeah, and I noticed that a lot. Like I'm a Canadian boy, so a lot of the um, American television that, I've seen in the, especially older stuff and, and media, it sort of, yeah, it sort of displays, um, you know, minorities period. doesn't matter, you know, um, where, where or whoever they're from as, as two dimensional, they're very um, generic. Uh, yeah, we're used as a prop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's generic. You know, there's no, no depth to them. They don't show any depth mm-hmm. as if they didn't have any, which is kind of an unusual way to present people I, I you know it's kind of i don't know it's it's a it was a bizarre time i guess and uh um it, but you you now you grew up in the in the deep south they say for so from a guy way up north what do you think gets gets misrepresented about being in the deep south uh the way in the community i grew up in the there was a race thing, but not really, because I grew up in the smallest county in Georgia, and everybody knew everybody else, whites and blacks, you know, they had their separation, but they also interacted with each other intimately. Like, I did my genealogy, and it turned out that one of my cousins, unbeknownst, he, he passed this white, but we have a common ancestor. And he was basically the first white judge in, in Rockdale County. And there's always under the surface, we were all really connected and interacting, even though there, there were so, there were Jim Crow barriers there. And now, and now that I'm gone. It's like a little metropolitan area where it's like any town USA in Atlanta is any town USA. So I think that's what a lot of people get wrong is how intimately we were connected beneath the surface there. 
you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, and, and because you obviously have a lot of yourself in, in your characters and your story, I guess a lot of your own experiences kind of get into that. And mm-hmm. I noticed that you studied um, international politics and you were in the army service for quite a while. Um, mm-hmm. But, but so, so that's got to be used those influences but most most i don't know how to most uh surprising to me was that you were a co-author of the disaster planning know how to do it for. so how how did that happen how do, how do you how do how do you get into that kind of a project yeah, that that was just me helping out with the book. Uh, as a librarian, when I was hired as a medical librarian, my primary job was the informatics side. And um, basically, I just um, researched and culled lists of disaster resources for librarians. So that that was my contribution. <laughs> So you're ready at the end of the world. then. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, it's it's like, I'm like, I'll help out. I'll give you a list of uh, resources or <laughs> links and whatever. And then they just put my name on there. Yeah. And so now I have a credit. Well, you know. <laughs> Is that terrible to well, pull back the curtain like that? <laughs> no, not at all. I've, I've done the same myself. Not a disaster book, but I think we all work, mm-hmm. you know, in that sort of way. Um <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. Um, yeah. Now, you focus a lot on romance and uh, relationships in here. Now, you've also included, you, I, I guess you've found it important, Donna, you put heterosexual, but also LGBTQ uh, relationships in your book as well. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular reason for that? My characters just told me who they loved and... And so once I realized that this character wanted to be with that character, then I would go back and research and try to make it authentic and and ring true and not, you know, and not make it some stereotypical two-dimensional thing. I wanted to make them real, make their relationship uh, as real as I could. So, yeah, basically the characters tell me, who they are. I don't, except for the main characters, I don't know who's going to get together right. from the beginning. But you know, when you, when you're dealing with something like 1700 Caribbean times, like your, or, you know, old periods of time, mm-hmm. um, the, the gay part of the world certainly was not, uh, you know, a very accepted party, you know, either it was pretty, uh, you know, it was it right. was, it and, was illegal. <laughs> it was, it was yeah, a- <laughs> absolutely. And back then people really didn't have this identity as being gay or or queer or LGBT. There was no there was no word. I mean, there were words for them, but there was no culture around it. There was no identity. It was very much in the closet. And sometimes uh the relationships were situational. And uh, that basically they didn't put labels on themselves. They knew who they loved. They knew who they wanted, but there was no label, no, and no culture to uh, whatever. So, so I don't give my characters labels. Uh, uh, like Yvonne is one of my characters. He, he grew up thinking he was heterosexual he liked girls and but he had he also had an attraction to his best friend and uh, and he fell in love with another guy and so you he doesn't think of himself as gay he still thinks you know well maybe I'll fall down with a woman someday and it is that so that I, my characters, I don't label my characters because they don't have labels for themselves. But yeah. I just try to be authentic in their relationships with one another. Yeah, and that's a tricky, a tricky um, situation. You know, I've written some um, true nonfiction books from characters a hundred years ago that were involved in a, 
um, gay relationship, but they, in their mindset, there was no such thing as a relationship. Exactly. That's what, yeah, that's what I was getting at. I mean, so I'm glad to hear you confirm that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Uh, they, they actually, you know, you would never consider yourself as, you know, like nowadays, two men or two women can go, oh, we'll get married, we'll do this, we'll do that. They'll have all these plans, and they'll plan a life together. Back then, there was no plan like that. You never even mm-hmm. thought about that. It was yes, just about, but... you know, doing something that on the side that was considered bad or illegal. Exactly. But yeah. listen, have you heard about the metallotages? That, that that was an interesting development that I found out about. It early in the early 1600s, and the colonies were just being populated. There weren't that many women there, and the French hat sailors that were you know working in the Caribbean, they realized that the men were going to have same sex relationships, and they actually codified it. Uh, a, Two men could enter into a contract called a metallotage where they, you know, where it's basically a civil union between the same sex. And the men would designate who would, uh, who they would leave their belongings to. Sometimes they would use the contract to share a wife or to pass a wife on to their, their, their buddy, their sailing buddy. So I thought that was interesting, and, and it's something I definitely want to play with. So I have I have a novel idea where I have a polyamorous relationship where the metallotage is is involved. So I don't know. Had, had you ever heard of that? No, I've never come across that. But I only did one study for. Um, there was a couple in Germany in the twenties, and at the same time, there was a couple in Chicago, and they both ended up. Um, committing murders and both were convicted but just the differences in the countries at the same time of their concept of what homosexuality was it was quite different in germany it was considered okay especially in the uh berlin area where they had burlesques and they didn't arrest transvestites and they had actually already done a uh transsexual uh operation by that time mm. whereas when wow. you when you come to the same time in 1920 20s uh chicago it was it was considered you were as bad as a killer already that was a, just a wow. severe um crime to the americans in chicago so it was just weird how the same exact same time period in two different parts of the world had a totally different reaction to so the same type of couple and the, and their behavior, you know, uh, drag queens in um, Berlin were given passes so that they wouldn't get arrested. And it became a real mecca in Berlin wow. with cabarets and, and all of that, all these shows and everybody that had any sort of money or was uh, in a higher class all went to Berlin to see these shows because it was like the latest trend. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in Chicago, you, you were being put in jail. You know, it was just uh, a total no-no. It was complete opposite in the exact same time. You know, so I I find those cases interesting. So I'll write about both of them and compare them, what what they're going through, because they're, you know, they both did bad things, but it wasn't about that. It was about the situation that they had. But it was funny because um, homosexuals in Germany were actually um, thinking that they could actually move in with a same-sex partner in, a, in mm-hmm. a flat and live together, and in the U.S. it wasn't even a consideration. You would even you would just that just wouldn't happen. Wow. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. you'd go to some you know uh, underground place and meet up type thing, and it was made very I don't know I don't want to say dirty, but very very quick, dark, sexual, hidden sort of mm-hmm. naughty taboo. Yeah, whereas it, it was becoming kind of a a cool thing in Berlin. It was just, I, I just found it fascinating. That is fascinating. You know, and, um, but again, you know, that's kind of the world we live in. So I think that's really interesting. You covered that. I think that's great. Um, especially because it sounds like you're really going into detail. You're, you're putting real characters. It's just not this. Exactly. They existed. And a lot of times, you know, people want to erase, 
mar the the people in the margins who actually existed. I want to shine a light on them. Yeah, it's kind of strange that that um, that that happens a lot. That that why people want to, you know, it could be more about the embarrassment, or maybe they know it was wrong, so it's better to forget it than to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, forget it, gloss over it. Um, yeah, it's yeah. like it never happened, you know. So if we don't, because then we're yeah, not. I get that. Yeah, because you're not, you know, people don't want to have to engage in something like that because it makes them feel bad. You know, it might be something their grandparents or somebody in their past did. So it's really mm -hmm. not their fault, but it's still something that people don't want to own necessarily, you know. Um, right. And and also, maybe it's just not important to them or or they're just I, I think a lot of times people are just lazy and they don't they don't <laughs> want to do the due diligence. Yeah. And and, you know, yeah, because, yeah. Yeah. you know, mo most a lot of a lot of work is written for the uh, the. Is it is it the white male gaze it is written toward the toward them and what what's important to them? It's really I, I don't I don't think. Well, I'll tell you, no, a lot of it's of the uh, marginal uh, of marginal populations are, are well, um, important the, enough the, to. Well, no, huh? they're written by people that don't experience it. Yeah. And that's yeah. the issue, because if you if you've never experienced it, you never lived it, you never dealt with it. And yet you put yourself into that place and you go, I'm going to write this story about these two guys. But you were never you've never been through it. You're just sort of you you're writing it from a straight male, white male mm -hmm. sort of point of view. You're not writing it from the gay point of view because you hadn't actually lived it because it's again it's more than just two dimensions it's not just will and grace <laughs> it's not right there's so many exactly. normal people that have everything's normal about them and they just live and yeah. um you know the gay is just one thing and it's funny how um a lot of the writers will be writing it from their own perspective look mm -hmm. outside looking in and that's mm -hmm. never going to be a very good character analysis. It's going to be okay at times, but it's really not going to cover it. And right. And at, you have to remember at the heart of it is they're human. What you want to do is tap into their humu humanity. I'm a black woman. I don't go around all day thinking about, oh, I'm a black woman. Um, this is how I suffer. I think about what I'm going to eat for lunch and, you know, <laughs> yeah. what time my husband's going to get home from work. I, I don't, that's not my, that's not what I think about. And I don't cry about being black all the time and that, and I hate, and I'm tired of reading about these stories that are just, you know, black pain narratives. That's that's not how most black people live our life. We just live our lives as human beings. And if you if you read my books, I write from the point of view of gay white males. I write from the point of view of straight white males. I write from the point of view of uh, white females. And I and the characters work because. I tap into their humanity and not, you know, and, and try not to, uh, yeah. Well, I, get, I say. you yeah. know, get out of my depth as far as cultural baggage goes. Yeah. Is, cause, cause people relate on other things other than their color or their sexuality or, mm -hmm. or what, you know, things like that. There's so much more to life. Well, hopefully mm -hmm. well, there, there of is, course. you know, yeah. You know, I, I, you know, but what do I know? Um, <laughs> well, that's, it's interesting, but um, so in a way it's really kind of a full range book and, and um, yeah, I, I wonder, so do you, do you plan on just kind of going down this alley, you know, the same type of writing for the next few years, like in 10 years, are you going to be doing kind of this style or do you think you'll, you want to try something different as well? Uh, I, I think I want to try something different, uh, but 
it, right now I'm writing this historical romance series and I can see four novels coming out of it easily and a multitude of novellas coming out of it. I can, I can see myself writing that. I'm also at the same time writing a horror series called The Science of Darkness with a, with a vampire hunter. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've ar- already have like, four books planned for that and it could go on forever too. And, but in the back of my head, I have a fantasy series that I'd like to write before, you know, mm. I get too old and lose my mind. <laughs> well, it, if people are voices are talking to you, you've already done that. So you know, <laughs> you lost the oh, mind okay. a while ago. So age is just, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> you're either here or you're not. So okay. believe me. Because uh, I'm just, you know, I'm turning 60, so it's just it goes so fast. That, I know it does. I'm 53, and oh, terrible. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to die soon. <laughs> yeah, that's, I've had that since I turned 50. I've been doing that. I've been trying to write, like, as much as I can every every year because there's there's only so much time left. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's kind of a bad way of doing it, in a sense, this <laughs> urgency, because... Who knows? Maybe I'll be a 90-year-old thing, you know, broken around. But who knows? Um, but when you do the horror, are you kind of a traditional horror writer? Are you into the – is it kind of gory and scary and brutal? Or are you more into suspense and terror of the mind? Um, gory and gory and brutal and gritty and if you read my romance novel it's, it's kind of like a horror novel too <laughs> because i i get really gritty and you know uh, i like to tear people apart <laughs> oh so you're saying <laughs> romance is really like horror <laughs> well you know it can be if you come in at the right angle i mean if you talk about pirates you know and you have ship battles and evil villains, and especially with slavery, is easy to go down the horror path. It's easy. Mm. And so, but that, and so that's what I do in my vampire series. I, I get gory and, and I get romantic. There's like a huge romance at the center of that. This, it all conflates, you know, with mm. each other. But if you have vampires, I guess you have to call it horror. Yeah. Well, you know, and so, your husband's okay, right? Like he's still <laughs> like he's checking here, you know. I mean, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's not in the basement somewhere tied up or something, is he? I just want to make sure that. Hey, now that's an idea. Well, that's an idea. <laughs> you know, he's down there, and you. You mean I can do that? You know, have at her. <laughs> I give you permission. Go for it. Go for it and write about it. Make sure you write it, <laughs> write the details so that we know exactly what happens. You know, at, make sure you question him about the amount of pain he's in. Yeah. yeah he's how feeling. does this feel? Yeah. Does <laughs> this hurt? Yeah. Because you see, then, you know, describe this, this, this pain to me and then you can get, then it'll be a really engaging book. You know, <laughs> that's important. But you know, I do get his point of view. Uh, you know, I, tr- I do interview him, like, like with sex. Like, sometimes when I'm writing a sex scene from from a guy's point of view, you know, I ask them, well, what are you feeling? What does that feel like? And, you know, why do you do that? And I really dissect it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's game. So. Yeah. Well, you know, if you, if the, yeah, he's game because he tied up from his feet down in the basement. <laughs> And you got a stick and you're asking him questions. Yeah. 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 He doesn't have much choice if he wants to eat. Yeah. I'll feed you if you answer. Yeah. yeah I, I, tell I, me I, the I, truth and you'll go free. Yeah. Yeah. And it never happens. <laughs> you can always get another husband if it, you know, if he doesn't make it right. You know. Or I can get another husband and put him in the basement to keep my husband pre, um, company. company yeah there yeah. you go now <laughs> i wouldn't want to get lonely down there no 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 you <laughs> yeah yeah that's very kind of you <laughs> very compassionate yes. very very, very I'm compassionately nice. insane <laughs> i yeah yeah it sounds like it um well that's great people can avoid you in the streets um <laughs> so um now what what 
is your means of uh, communication with readers? So if you've got fans, um, do you have a website? Do you have, um, let's see, what's your favorite social media that, that fans and readers can find you at? Well, on Twitter and on Instagram, I am ZenBaby, Z-E-N-B-A-B-I-E. And that's my handle. And uh, you can find me on Facebook at author Mac Little, A-U-T-H-O-R, Mac Little. And uh, I, I love talking and uh, discussing my books. And if you have any questions or complaints, I'd love to hear it and talk about it. Yeah, you know, complaints, go for it. She'll slice <laughs> you like a pirate. Complaints are awesome because, you know, uh, you know, I, I did, I, I have heard where, you know, some people think I got it wrong as, as far as African religions and, you know, it, and I'm, I'm glad to hear it so I can hone, uh, my research and, and, and my characters and whatever. So yeah, it's always helpful. Yeah. No, it's good. Um, and website. My website is, M-A-C-K hyphen little dot com. Mac hyphen little dot com. Great. Of course, now we're going to have everything come on our website and people can find you with one click if they can't spell it or can't remember. Um, political correctness. When, you, when you're writing in history, and I always ask historical writers, fiction or nonfiction, mm-hmm. do, do you concern yourself with trying to be... Um, trigger proof for today's reader or or said in a way that is more let's say politically correct or more acceptable in these times because a lot of people in in 1700s 18s even the 1900s treated other people like blacks gays and everything with total disrespect and awful awful Mm -hmm. language well yeah well no i try i try to be accurate you know the way people talked and thought during that time, but as a narrator, you know, I, I am sensitive about uh, the correct terms. And also, um, I, I have intent when I'm, when I'm naming certain things, like, I don't, as a, as a narrator, I don't call slaves slaves. They are enslaved people, enslaved women, enslaved men, because that's how I think these people should be thought about. So I guess that's politically correct. But when the characters interact with each other, then they, they carry with them the same mindset that, you know, a person of that time period would. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I, I had one of my characters was raped and two other characters were discussing it, two guys. I go, yeah, well, she deserved it, you know, you know, she shouldn't have whatever. And or, you know, she got in trouble for killing her rapist and she deserves to die for that. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's it is really hard to believe sometimes how people acted in a different generation. And mm-hmm. it's hard to get your mind around because like, yeah, we're almost the same age, but I remember growing up, but again, Canada, we had different issues, but I remember growing up and seeing the way my parents did things and thinking, wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. kind of brought it forward somewhat more and each generation sort of does that, but it's really, it's really amazing to see how people were treated. Let's yeah. say even a hundred years ago, you just can kind of go, but why? Like that's just yeah. crazy. Yeah, I saw the way women were treated when I was growing up, and I was like, "There's no way I would get married or put myself through that." Yeah, <laughs> or you I'd keep them in not. the basement, right? We know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was the way the the expectations that females had when I was small was were bleak. <laughs> yeah, what well, is amazing too, because when you look at people that you know that Gloria Steinem and people that were trying to move women's rights forward, they're they're considered such evil people, mm. and they're not. All they were trying to do was make things better, but they were so villainized uh, for for I guess breaking the norm. 
you know. Yeah, that's amazing to me. Yeah, that, you know, yeah. you go out and burn the bras in the '60s, and then <laughs> like, and it's just like, well, they somebody has to put their foot down, somebody has to get hurt, which is too bad. But you know, and then how how they get villainized, and I think, wow, these people didn't have to do that, and they did. And right. I don't know, but that's just well, uh, you know, when the status quo is is disruptive, people get scared. And when they get scared, they get angry, you know, mean. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that, well, speaking of that, how was, how was the COVID for you on your writing? Did uh, the last couple of years kind of throw, and I say that because especially with you and dealing with characters, you sound like you're, you're probably quite in tune with your characters and your writing <laughs> and stuff. Well, but, but when there's outside stresses, like what was going on, especially yeah. in, the, in the U.S., does it sort of make you unable you know to what? be? Yeah. COVID was my groove, I tell you, because I never left the house anyway. I worked from home, and I it just gave me an excuse to stay home more. Right. <laughs> I, I, it, I thrived. <laughs> well, During the COVID. <laughs> well, hey, there you go. Oh, no, just some some writers are, that were totally shut down because their emotions were so wrapped up in, you know, there's anti-mask rallies and all the conspiracies no. and, and Donald Trump and all this weird stuff going yeah, on. And, I just watch that stuff and shake my head and, and go escape to my world. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's the other thing. Uh, you know, I see, talk to writers and some go, oh, no, I totally just escaped and I was in my own doing their own thing and having a great time and others were all shut down and rolling around on their bed wounded you know so it's just just had two opposites so you know it's interesting like I'm a total introvert so yeah not having to be around people that was awesome oh that's a great thing I still (laughs) I still hate people everyone knows it you know I, I love I just can stay with my dogs forever you know, mm-hmm. when they make us come back to the studio here, probably the fall this year, it's just going to be brutal. I'd rather be at home with my dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what we deal with. Well, it's been a really good conversation, and uh, we're really glad you came on the show. Um, now, the book we're talking about, your your last book, as I see, is, is called Daughter of Hades. Now, it's book one. Mm-hmm of the mm-hmm. Love and Peace series, which uh, we hope is going to come true. And <laughs> our guest was the author and um, Mac Little. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.